Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ranking Thrones. Uh, I am James Kelly. Unfortunately, my co-host Evan Camacho is sick, but we've got on a fantastic guest to join us to talk about a, a king we've already previously talked about quite a bit, but get more perspective on him. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm uh, Jim McGeehan, commonly called Something Like a Lawyer. I write for Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire. Thanks for coming on, Jim. Ah, uh, not a problem. So this week, um, uh, I always want to bring on big Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire fans, and uh, and the invite is to anyone out, out there listening to this podcast to come on board as well. And uh, I always say to my guests, which king do you want to talk about? And Jim wanted to come in to talk about Darren the Second. So, and just right after we did our our two hour episode on Damon the First, so this is perfect. Just get even more into into Darren's reign. Well, I mean, red or black is a dangerous question, even now. Oh yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I love that moment in uh, the Mystery Night when, or or no, it was in the the Sworn Sword. Mm -hmm. Like when when like uh, Sir Sir Eustace just asks delicately, like, "Oh, did like which which dr dragon did your 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 master fight for?" And he and he just like tries to be delicate, but he does that as like red dragon. Like, oh, I see. It's really indicative, actually, of the kind of the aftermath of the first Blackfire Rebellion. Whereas in the aftermath of Robert's Rebellion, uh, I mean, you had Robert drinking with people who were trying to kill him just the other day. Whereas, yeah. whereas you have uh, you know red or black. It's a dangerous question even now. The the dichotomy of these two different scenarios in the aftermath of a devastating large scale civil war is very interesting yeah well i mean that's part of um to play compliments to robert and we've covered this before in the in our podcast but that was something that was truly exceptional about robert is that he was able to make pretty much any enemy into his friend with the, the obvious exception of the targaryens but Beyond them, like pretty much, I people that that like you said, literally were trying to kill him the other day. Like he was having a wine and hunting with the next day, yeah. just like that magic touch, and that made him like that made it seem like oh he's perfect for king. Like look how well he can turn friends out of enemies. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. he, he he was not completely wretched, and he had a lot of faults too. Which I mean, that's that yes. is a good good aspect of character building but it is interesting to see well, maybe we can even go into this the aftermath of the first blackfire rebellion where we see what is the the reconciliation policies that work and what yeah. are the reconciliation policies that don't work well let, let's talk about that then that's a great question because and this is something that's wonderful that fire and blood has get, given us even more perspective because in fire and blood volume one it, it happens twice really where there's these big civil wars and it's like this this reconciliation period afterwards uh, and this reconstruction period of uh, first you get the the less discussed point which is is May, like the aftermath of Magor and just Jaharis's early reign and just like what he does to piece everything together and how he shows kind of his exceptional qualities yep. and why he was Jaharis the conciliator and why he was the great king that he was then you get Unfortunately, the, the the more negative side where it's where it's Aegon the Third, where he's 
as kind of, I think, you and I might agree, he was a nice guy, and he wasn't a bad king, but he just didn't really know how to make people love him, and he didn't really care that people didn't love him. And that is that is a drawback in feudalism that you don't see in other types of uh, rule. The fe- the feudal relationship is key. The, this relationship yeah. between feudal overlord and vassal. And so you have to have these personal relationships because the it's the foundation of the government. So there's a lot of different ways you can make a good relationship. For example, I mean, you see with Jaehaerys I, I mean, first off, he was contrasting himself to Magor, which is why so many yeah. people uh, ran to support him. But he went and he, he wrote laws. He built a polity out of these disparate kingdoms. Like Aegon I didn't create a unified law code. He would do on his royal progress, he would have maesters, and he'd say, well, how did they do it here? And for the time period, that actually made a lot of sense because you didn't want to rock the boat too much. You know, if if things were continuing as usual, there was a little bit of comfort to be held in that. But, you know, by the time Jaharis comes into place, you've had people who have lived and died knowing nothing but the Targaryens on the Iron Throne are the supreme kings of Westeros. Mm-hmm. So that is the time to create a unified law code. And he did a very good job with that. And then you have, for mm-hmm. example, Robert Baratheon, who was very negligent when it came to laws and counting coppers. But he was yeah. able to do it from a, from a gregarious point of view, from a very, very open-handed point of view. And that's something that is bound up in the... Uh, aspect of being a a king too i mean kings are supposed to be legendarily open-handed they're supposed to be so generous and most more interestingly than being so generous is also being so like negligently open it's like yeah i can do this and i don't even need to think about it it's a a power uh you know an, an aspect of showing strength even if you know a lot of times kings were horrifically horrifically in debt yeah and uh well when you're when you get to be stingy then that's all you get remembered for so like the only thing people remember king henry the seventh for is being stingy and kind of exploitative yeah and And there was there was a lannister king uh king norwin who was also and that's all he has one sentence in the world book and it's legitimately (laughs) every every lannister king was open-handed Except for King Norwin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, we might just bounce around for a little bit, getting into it, but but let's talk about Darren then. So, like, with Darren, it, 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 there, there are pretty much a stark parallels the most, I, I would say, with, with probably Robert in terms of the aftermath. Okay. Although, well, I although would say I, I would say that the, I mean there's only so many big wars in Westeros' yeah. history. There are small conflicts, but you have the Dance of the Dragons, and then that aftermath was just yeah. a mess. Yeah, uh, then you have then you have the first Blackfire, and then yeah. you see you see where things are kind of going okay because you look at the Hedge Knight, and you know I mean there's this grand pageantry and all that, but I think that's yeah. more due to the just the strength of the Targaryen dynasty. You've got this heir in waiting, Baylor Breakspear, who is 
just the yeah. most perfect, um, you know, prince. Like you could not expect a better prince. He's a great general. He's honorable. He's got everything. He's really the whole package. He so was of course basically that- what people think Rhaegar was. It's like no, this sec- this guy was like yeah, yeah. this was obviously because. I mean, I'll say it again. It's kind of controversial, but like Rhaegar is, I think he's a nice guy at heart, but oh boy, some really like, I don't think this is a good idea what you're doing. It's funny because that's actually not too controversial among the people I hang out with, like uh, Stephen Atwell or um, uh, Nobody Suspects the Butterfly or Joe Land or those, uh, those people. All of them are like, no, Rhaegar was kind of adult for doing this, like a huge idiot yeah. for doing this. But I mean, I mean you know, when we, get, that, when we get the dream of string, I, I'm sure we'll get the final word on him. But still, I'm just like, ooh, Rhaegar. Well, I mean, it's he's he's being. I think he's being looked at through massive nostalgia glasses. So of course, yeah. that's that's going to color him positively. But um, yeah, no, I mean, so when you see this aftermath with. Uh, the first Blackfire, you see it as kind of this middle ground between Robert's Rebellion, where things are stable. I mean, you hear uh, a woman could walk the, the lengths of the King's Road in her name day gown. So that is stark naked, uh, you know, your birthday <laughs> suit. Now, yeah. ob- obviously, that's probably hyperbolic, but it says yeah. that there's a lot, you know, very low crime, very high stability. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Whereas on the other hand, you have the you know, the aftermath of the dance and, you know, you've got scheming, you've got regents dropping like flies, you have the mm-hmm. uh, Regare Spring, you have all sorts. I mean, what is it? Marston Waters has the king and Prince Viserys held held under yeah. siege yeah. <laughs> at in, the, uh, in Magor's Holdfast. I mean, that's really... That's not as bad as the Dance of the Dragons, but it's pretty yeah. darn bad. It, <laughs> so you, I mean, that, you see this. The dance is like the apex of like of just the Targaryens imploding on themselves and just all the chaos. That, quite frankly, w- once you read, and that's why I'm really looking forward to House of the Dragon. But it's just like it's kind of astonishing that the Targaryens survived the Dance of the Dragons at all in any kind of semblance of of where they were at afterwards. Yeah. Cause it's just well, like this, it totally would have made sense. Like, yep, that was the end of them. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was why they worked so hard to, to create a new symbol for Westeros because they could no longer have the dragon power. It's something I yeah. talked about in a, in a panel a, a while back, uh, where about, uh, Aegon the third, Daron the first, Baylor and, uh, Aegon the fourth and Daron the second all tried to create what is the new, idea of monarchy uh it was called a uh, uh, targaryen politics in a post-dragon westeros uh, it was a okay. panel idea yep. for con of thrones it was uh it was a lot of fun to do that panel i'll put a link on on the description it's great great oh, panel. Thank, you. thank you very much it's much appreciated um so maybe we should try to do it a little bit in chronological but kind of yeah. jumping ahead just like really talk about this right now just like when the aftermath uh, of it and just like you got the like darren being kind of what he consistently i think uh at least from my take on darren is that he's constantly goes the middle way 
of that he he does is a reformer, but he is not uh, a kind of egg on the fifth level reformer. He is uh, very much more on the Jaharis level of just trying to compromise and make some type of of consensus reform. And so when when you deal with, okay, what do we do with these enemies? And this is always a question that like we, what, you're, what we've been kind of discussing right now is what do you do with like the, the fallout and, and like w- with all these enemies to the victor, victorious side that you can get Hour of the Wolf where it's just like, it's like, okay, the wall or the sword, that's it. Or you get Robert just saying, all right, like, forget it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Like, just wash my hands. It's over. It's over. The Targaryens are out of power. And then you get something like Darren, where it's like, I'm going to punish them, but I'm not going to kill them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that I mean, you had actually your two factions that are saying that you had the Blood Raven faction, and he's like, Look, yeah. we need to we need to exterminate these guys, root and stem. You know, everyone yeah. that is everyone that is an adult male is either executed or sent off to the wall and probably just executed because he doesn't want to deal with them. You know, probably every female member of the house is going to get kicked over to, um, you know, mother houses across the uh, the seven kingdoms, probably in areas that are very firmly pro uh, red dragon. So areas like uh, the Vale or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, you know, the the uh the places that actually supported the red dragon and then you know you have uh daron is attempting to do the golden mean fallacy here where he says all right i'm going to take a hostage but i'm not going to just you know cripple you i'm not going to remove your lands titles and send you you know send you off the wall and you will never be able to bother me again and it's interesting because in the world book it says that he wasn't really a very stern ruler so this kind of threw his his yeah. uh, constituency for a curveball. So that also probably hurt him more than if he would have just picked one side or the other because he didn't cripple his defeated foes, but because he wasn't known for actually uh, laying down the hammer too hard, then it felt odd. It didn't feel usual and st- made people start to feel anxious. I mean, then, of course, you have the Great Spring Sickness and all the hostages yeah. die in King's Landing. And, I mean, you, yeah. you really can't be blamed for that because he died, no, too. Yeah. Uh, but, it's I mean, it's... But, uh, for example, you see with Robert, he's always open, you know, open-handed, didn't even take the hostages after Robert's Rebellion, but he was always known as a guy who was really generous and forgiving of these things. Now, I'm sure he actually did do a couple of things, like he made them swear an oath to the seven, you know, to, for fealty and obedience, like a vassalage contract would. And that's not nothing. I mean, in a religious society, if you swear a holy oath and then you break it, you, you're risking your immortal soul. That's how they take that. So that's a very serious thing, but it's personally a black, like I'm personally a black. It's just like, no, no, you guys swore. Rhaenyra is your heir. What are you talking about? This is, I, yeah, we can talk yeah. about the Dance of the Dragons too, but, uh, but yeah. I've I've got uh, well, my my concession is, or my my thoughts of it are both of them are terrible, but there's equally different succession policies that are being advanced. I mean, 
But I mean, we can we can talk about that some other time if I ever come back okay. on, or if you, I, I should say, if you ever invite me back on, because I can always talk about <laughs> Dance the Dragons. Uh, we'll see you at the end of this podcast where we. Oh yeah, yeah. That. Um. So yeah. Um. I mean, what you're saying earlier—that's ironically one of the few times Makar was on Blood Raven's side. Was yeah. like saying like, well, yeah, we no, no, like Dad, I'm telling you, like we can't let these guys live. But Baylor was on the complete opposite of the total Robert, like, forgive, like, j- they lost the battle, let's forgive, like, let's just let bygones be bygones. And it's interesting, because uh, if, if that happened, they may have been strong enough to, to make things worse in the third Blackfire Rebellion, but they also might just not have had, uh, the, the Blackfires just might not have had local support on the Westerosi continent. Because as you see with the Blackfires, if they have no support on the Westerosi continent, they fizzle out very quickly. Absolutely. Well, the fourth Blackfire Rebellion, from the way I interpret the world of Ice and Fire, is the greatest example of, of how effective Egg was as a king, was that the, n- when um, Damon III arrived, just no one supported him. They were like, "Who go away. Because yeah. I think they, only they, the Ironwoods did. Brutal winter, they had just gone through a brutal winter, and Aegon V proved, like, he went through so much just to make sure no one starved that just the people were like, yeah, this guy's great. He cares about us. So yeah. go away. We don't care about you. And he acted as a, uh, a supreme general by making sure that he took the field with his sons and was able to. I mean, Westeros is a martial aristocracy, so nobles yeah. are expected to perform that role of military leader and he was able to do it quite decisively i mean that's one of the things that i mean dayron the second wasn't very good but he was able to kind of mitigate that because Baylor and makar were actually very very good generals yeah but uh that uh aegon was able to take the field that his sons were able to take the field and they were able to equip themselves admirably it it's very, very useful for a, a martial aristocracy like Westeros. So, yeah, absolutely. So let's actually, let's try to get this a little bit of, I think I'll just go go through the timeline and ask you questions on your perspective on these matters before we eventually get to the ranking part. Sounds good. So let's go back to the very beginning where, where Aegon, the, Aegon the Unworthy, it's still during um, the reign of his... Uncle, I think Aegon the Third, when, okay. when, when, when uh, Darren is born, and um, I think I'm right on that one. Don't quote me on that, but and and still, like Aegon the Unworthy, kind of proved how much of an, a monster he was by saying, like, when his wife was like, "Please, like, my doctors say I can't do this again, so please, just can we just stop?" He's like, "Nope, no." Which is I'm funny because he didn't even love her. It was just no. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. I, I'm almost positive that was just more of uh, you don't tell Aegon the Fourth what he can't do. I'm, yeah. I'm Aegon, so I can do what I want. Mm-hmm. So, but when we get into like the relationship of Aegon, of of, of father and son, of like, and we, we, I've covered this twice when I've covered both Damon and Darren. But just it's so interesting that uh, that a father and son relationship can be so diametrically opposed. In that, like clearly, Aegon adores Daemon, and he clearly despises Daron. 
Like, mm-hmm. what do you make of that? Like, what, what? Why do you think like that was the case? Well, I think for part of it is that uh, Damon Blackfire reminded Aegon of who he was in his youth. I mean, we always see this element of Aegon the Fourth as fat and disgusting. But we have yeah. to remember that when he was young, he was actually incredibly handsome. He was incredibly fit. They said he was a dancer, a hawker, a hunter. So he was, you know, he reminds uh, Aegon of what he was when he was young. And yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you have Daron who reminds him of the the degradation of himself because you have to remember Aegon the fourth is a classic narcissist. He wouldn't see his, his son as a, you know, an individual person with his own beliefs and values and hobbies and things like that. He would see him as a reflection of himself. So he Mm -hmm. would say, look, I fathered a kid and he's not a warrior. Does that say something negative about me? (laughs) He is, you know, keeping company not with, um, you know, the great knights of the age and charming the lovely damsels of the realm. He is sitting in his room reading. He's keeping company with maesters. And also, you have to remember that Aegon had a very negative relationship with his father. That was Viserys II. And you see that that Viserys little gag about it like in the when we had steven on i'm just like i'm just i'm just Aegon coming to his father like did mommy abandon uh, us it's like yes mommy abandoned us go away <laughs> it, it's funny too because apparently viserys was actually supposed to be charming in his youth but then his yeah. wife left him and he became hard which sounds a lot like a guy who just throws himself into his work after his marriage falls apart which i mean that's that that is what it is but since viserys had such a negative relationship with aegon and a lot of daron's traits remind him of his hated father that's another reason that he could have to be very negative towards him i honestly think that in his youth Daron II's uh, role model, his primary male role model, was actually his grandfather. While Baylor can kind of be half removed as this kind of ideal to aspire to in terms, it's more of an absent heroic thing, whereas Viserys is a more concrete example of what you should be doing, because he's the guy that's managing the kingdom. So I think that probably... Uh, Daron, when he was crown prince, actually not even when he was crown prince Daron, when he was uh, heir to the crown prince of Aegon, uh, Daron would be the one observing Viserys at court, helping him out with minor things, and as he got older, he would be entrusted with more and more tasks as a trusted of the Iron Throne. I mean, that that actually happened a lot with um, with children when they were yeah. growing up in, in aristocracy. They'd be assigned certain tasks to make sure they could understand their responsibilities and things like that, as well as just being visible and being seen because, as we say, it's a feudalism is responsible for, you know, is built on uh, personal relationships. So I it could is. say, you know, Daron hates his father, Aegon hates his father, 
Daron reminds Aegon of Viserys, so of course some of that hatred is also transferred out. So I can see, you know, you kind of got a lot of different factors that make Aegon the Fourth hate his son. Yeah. So that's a wonderful answer to that. And so when we get into, um, and let's get into part of the fun, of thick controversy of it, of it all. And we had two different minds, but I've kind of concluded one way about it, but I want to hear your thoughts about it. Okay. So when, when Aegon the fourth is now Aegon the fourth, he is now King. Okay. He, and the one thing that like, we all kind of can say like the one thing that's almost noble in a way is that unlike other kings and other times like robert like aegon never denied paternity for his bastards he never like denied that he was the father of his kids so that is kind of nice because like maya stone like she has fond memories of 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 robert but she doesn't know who robert that Robert was her father and things like that. And that definitely has an impact. See, I'm not so sure because well, I mean, you have to remember that he, he sent uh bitter steel off to Stonehenge and then he executed uh, Bethany Bracken and her father who would be uh, Agor's grandfather. Yeah. So, I mean, at the same time you could say he was, you know, okay. He acknowledged them, which I mean, with Catelyn's quote, we understand that that's actually expected. So I, I don't know if you could say that that's, you know, at least somewhat noble if that's what you're supposed to do, societally speaking. But, I mean, yeah. he, he could be capable of really callous neglect. But, again, you know, that's probably probably another extension of his narcissism. You know, yeah. Bethany defied me, so she must die. Uh, yeah. The Lord Bracken uh, introduced this you know, this defiance to me, so he must die without any expression uh, when, you know, little Agrog says, where's granddad? Yeah, tr true enough, true enough. Um, I mean, that, this is why we need Fire and Blood Volume 2 to fully square out these details. Uh, give me book six first. <laughs> I, want, I, I want Winds of Winter first. I'm okay uh, I, with Fire and Blood Volume 2, but I want Winds of Winter first. I'm fine with anything that George R. R. Martin releases in Westeros, but yes. Anyways, um, so, so, but getting back to the main question I was going to ask you, Jim, is that when he is, is the big ceremony, is that Aegon the Unworthy, the fourth King Aegon, knights his son, the youngest knight in Westerosi history. Damon and Damon, then Damon Waters, mm -hmm. knights him and bequeaths him Blackfire. Yep. It, in the Red Keep. I think that's the, not just like what Makar says of, of that's, that's just knighting. It's just a, a, like he's a warrior. It's just a good, it's like giving a good horse to a good rider. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think no, that's I, symbolic. You're right. You're right. Uh, you are absolutely right. I mean, first off, you have to remember that Makar is, you know, he's invested in the health and security of the Targaryen regime. Yeah. So 
he is going to minimize that as much as possible because he is invested in the red dragons maintaining their rules. So any symbols of legitimacy that Damon Blackfire and his heirs could claim, he would try to undermine as quickly as he could. So, I mean, certainly there's that. But uh, no, I mean, that amount of ceremony, he is, I mean, Aegon is celebrating Damon to the realm and investing him in this heroic mythos that is of Aegon the Conqueror. Because you have to remember that when it comes to Blackfire, that is the last symbol they have of the, at this point, I mean, he's far removed godlike Aegon the Conqueror. His crown was lost uh, from Daron the Young Dragon in the War of Dornish Conquest, or well, actually even after that, during the peace conference. And then (laughs) Balerion is dead a long time ago and all of the dragons are extinct. So this sword, this Valyrian steel sword, it's a rare thing. You cannot make it with anything else. It comes from long removed ancient Valyria. It is a symbol of who Aegon the Conqueror is and what he represents. Mm-hmm. And um, as Stephen pointed out, uh, that's something that we got from Fire and Blood is actually that because the the stupid King Aenys the first bequeathed like he gave Blackfire over to his brother Magor, that was part of his argument for like I'm the one who should be king and not not Aegon the Uncrowned. Right. Because I was given Blackfire. Yeah. My father's sword. So me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that even if he didn't have it, Magor would use the argument that he is worthy to wield it to use it to bolster his argument anyway. But yeah, no, it's yeah. You, you have to remember in a country like Westeros, the vast majority of the population is illiterate. Symbols yeah. are so important for uh, people who don't don't read. They don't understand, you know, what's this different law tradition versus that different law tradition, but they see things. They can look at a, at a king holding black fire, you know, cutting this heroic figure and say, that is the king. Yeah. So, but, so when I think of that, that moment, that really symbolic moment in addition to, and as this is going on also, and there are, it's not one-to-one, like this happened over time. One, Aegon goes out of his way to knight his bastard son in this grand public ceremony and bequeaths him Blackfire. And he goes out of his way to spread rumors at first through proxies, but then eventually just through his own mouth that is it, Darren, my son, is he? I don't know. Like, and that whole attitude. I don't want to say I'm uh, that that the blacks were were 100% justified, but just it does make it seem like reasonable to have these questions of Darren's legitimacy. Well, I'd also say that the thing is, is that you can really see that Aegon is concentrating and enacting a systemic effort to make Damon the actual heir. Now, he knows he can't just say, hey, uh, Daron, you are disinherited, goodbye. He can't do that. 
Because if he does, there's going to be a civil war. Because the last time there was a succession crisis, there was a civil war. And, yep. you know, going into the future, it ends up becoming a civil war anyway. So, I mean, he's not wrong there. Uh, it's kind of weird to say Aegon the Fourth is not wrong. But, I mean, I'm <laughs> sure... I'll... I'm sure I'll get used to that yeah. sentence eventually. But uh, <laughs> so he's he's doing these things to find ways to remove Daeron from succession. And so you you have these. I mean, bastardry is one of the ways to do it. That is one of the ways to say, look, you can't inherit the uh, the mantle of king because it is passed down through trueborn children and you are not a trueborn child of mine. So mm -hmm. the thing is, is that each time that? he keeps doing it, he fails. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I mean, that's the one saving grace is that is that at this point, it seems like the court is not with Aegon the Unworthy as much as they're willing to be sycophants to him. Mm -hmm. Like they're not willing to go that far for him yeah. yet. Well, they're willing to laugh at the king's jokes if it means that they can get nice, cool things, you know. I mean, because yeah. he was famously, you know, uh, flagrant with his violations of the law and could give things to anyone for any reason. I mean, he expropriated treasures for himself and stuff like that, and then he would bequeath them later. So, you know, but if you go and you back him on the idea that, hey, Daron is not my son, and then it gets to a war. Now you actually have to put your body on the line here. This is actually something that's dangerous. I mean, again, if all you have to do is laugh at the king's jokes and say, yeah, you're the greatest king ever, and then you end up getting, you know, uh, half your body weight in gold or whatever, that's great. Well, it's not, it's not just that, though, Jim. You also have to say, oh, hey, here's my daughter, um, and I'm going away now. Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, Westerosi society doesn't value value women too highly. So I know, I know. I, it's, but but that's, even, even so, when you got like a king like with his reputation, it's like... That's yeah, you know a, that's coming. Like, you know that's coming. You know that's coming. One, you know that's coming. And like, I think even like the most kind of like lax father would still like have the fatherly instincts like oh gosh please not mine please not mine please not mine please not mine yeah that's that's why you, you'd have to keep your daughters at home and sit tell everyone hey look don't spread any tales about her don't say that she's the fairest maid in the realm because Aegon's going to come calling and if you do yeah. hear that the royal progress is going to be making a stop hey sweetie how about you take a trip to Mir? Or bravos, <laughs> yeah, like pretty much, yeah. So just like, I mean, that you could be Lord Butterwell and just like embrace it, like okay, bless me, King. Well, he You're he got a he got a dragon egg out of that deal. That's uh, yeah. wow. I mean, talk talk so about like, recklessness because I mean, before yeah. only only the you know the the members of the royal family got dragon eggs, and now yeah. eh, eh, one yeah. crazy night is worth one dragon egg. Which shows how... I think that's a twofold. It shows how scummy and stupid Aegon is as a king, and also shows how just, like, how utterly... I don't know, what, what is it? Like, amoral, I guess is the right way to put it. Amoral. Of just, like, that he's like, yeah, sure, sleep with my daughters. I don't care. Just, like, give me something yeah. out of it. I would that's, say, yeah, callously selfish, just 
just completely self-interested and self-absorbed only in my personal riches. Yeah. How did Ambrose come from that line? <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, so though I, I will say like having said that, and I do think positively of Darren, mm-hmm. uh, but in a way, a lot of, of what we're saying is that even though a lot of people were having doubts and like were willing to like go so far with, with like supporting Damon, it really was in a lot of ways, I think, Darren's own rule that led to the Blackfire rebellions happening. I would say it's a significant contributor, yes. I, I think that the way I, I put it is that is that his father left a, a room full of wildfire and then just Darren unintentionally lit the spark. Uh, I, I would say that the, the problem was is that there was a lot more that Daron could have done to actually remove the wildfire, and he didn't do it. Or when he did do things about it, he didn't do them very well. So, I mean, that's the big thing. I think the most controversial thing I have with that is there, there was a lot of Daron's rule that was actually not that great. Um, <laughs> so, for example, the peace treaty with Dorne is celebrated oh, let's talk as, about that. yes yeah the the dornish incorporate this is probably one of my most controversial things now i don't think anyone can fault dayron for the intent i don't think anyone mm-hmm. can the you had uh, a low maybe the, maybe the tyrells could but well maybe yeah but i mean so you you had pretty much low scale war to one point or another for most of uh, the Seven Kingdoms history, when Dorne yeah. was an independent uh, principality, uh, you had a lot of border raids, you had a lot of cattle raids, and things like that. There was a lot of bloodshed on on that side. And so being able to try and find a way to peacefully incorporate them to end that sort of low-level conflict is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, is that, I mean... He made the treaty that he made was seen as too conciliatory. Dorn got a lot of special privileges that the other set, uh, paramount lords didn't enjoy, and that is going to cause them a lot of problems. And then he then staffed a lot of his uh, his court with uh, members of uh, Dornish houses, and so now people are looking at that, saying, "Hey, wow, this is a really lopsided court, and I don't think if there's a dispute between me and Dorn, he's going to be fair. He's going to side with his, you know, with his, uh, with the, uh, with the Dornish because they're his in-laws and because they gave him a lot of things and because he's very friendly with them, and that that makes people really nervous. Yeah. Um, and you know, they say, you know, you made this peace treaty, and you're supposed to represent us." You threw us under the bus to enrich yourself and your and your wife's family. So what does that say? You mean that's not really the thing that a king is supposed to do? And then you have, for example, that the the peace treaty with that Daron the first was killed at. That's a very flagrant violation of Westerosi morals. I mean, when yeah. you invite someone to a conference, that's guest right. You're attacking somebody when they're unarmed. And I mean, in warfare, that's called perfidy when you specifically lure somebody out of a, you know, with deception for the purposes of killing them. And it's misusing a peace treaty. I mean, the white flag is considered sacred for a reason. It's because that's the method with which you end conflict. And so if you undermine that, you're saying, 
ending conflict is not as important as me getting what I want. And then, you know, that will degrade into, and then you'll, you'll have some really, you know, problematic things when people are executing people that are trying to surrender because they don't believe the surrender is genuine. So, well, Blood Raven did do that at one point. Oh, so. oh yeah, because Blood, Blood Raven is such a bastion of moral certainty. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I think that when Dayron did that, he made a lot of key errors. What he should have done was looked to find a way to sweeten the pot for the other houses to bring them on board. Uh, maybe That's if he had offered one of the concessions that he had given to Dorne to the other Paramount Lords, if he had said, listen, I understand that this might not be the best thing, but this is going to be a new way forward and we're going to give you this privilege. And then when every single time they invoke that privilege, whatever it is, when they, they didn't have it before, they remember that this is the peace treaty that Daron made with Dorne and this is what I got from it. Now, similarly, he could have maybe demanded an offer of Weregeld specifically for the people who were killed at the peace conference. Like uh, mm-hmm. one of the oak carts, I think, was uh, was killed at the peace conference. Uh, oh. So, so if if they had offered Weregeld and said, "Listen, we have to accept that you know this is an incorporation, but this is a problem, and we are looking to find ways to make it right." Uh, that might have actually walked uh, won him over a lot better. I'm not saying that everyone would have been won over. Um, you know, when the Tyrells were put in charge of Dorne, that made all of the Reach houses essentially viceroys of Dorne. Yeah. So they lose out. But it could have maybe made a lot of people a little bit happier to see uh, this peace treaty go forth. If it's, even if it's not, you know, they're saying, hey, look, I still have to compete with more rivals for royal favor and court appointments and things like that. This does smooth things over. And maybe if he had went and sold that peace treaty a little bit better, and then in the aftermath built a bigger coalition to handle the people that were discontent with his peace treaty, he might have been able to avert the first Blackfire Rebellion. Probably. I mean, the biggest thing that... like The, the easiest and clearest mistake that he makes from the get-go is saying is a, not only letting the Dornish preserve their their primogeniture, non-gender, like, uh, inheritance, it's letting them maintain the title of prince or mm-hmm. princess. I don't that think the absolute primogeniture... I don't think the absolute primogeniture is a problem because it doesn't really impact them, but definitely the title of prince. That does but, yeah. stick in their craw. I would say that like the 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 ab- absolute primogeniture is a problem because it's because then like and um, when we eventually get the the she wolves of of Winterfell like that's going to be part of the issue is like well who inherits and like where does the, the the whole issue of inheritance always comes up and like whether or not the matrilineal line can succeed. And like that's what ostensibly the Dance of the Dragons is about. But I think and, because and, because Rainra lost, and, uh, I don't think that would be held as so much of a you know a fear factor as opposed to the title of prince, where it's like every single time they're announced at court, it's like said, yeah. ooh. Yes. That being said, like yeah, the bigger thing is that is like that that they get to be called prince. It's just like it's like. But I've been loyal all this time, like what? And I can't be called prince. Like, I 
I have to be Lord, and he gets yeah. to be Prince. Yeah. The other thing that, like, I think it, that, like, the World Book mentions that I think is ex- especially galling is that basically Dorne is still very, in a, a, a lot of ways, much more independent than any other kingdom in the seven in the seven kingdoms, in that they're allowed to collect the taxes. Like, yes, they do have to pay taxes, but they're allowed to administer that. Like, there's no royal treasurer, like, that's administering it like every other kingdom. Yeah, and there's no assessments that are done by a a party, you know, because, I mean, Dorne would be very, very, you know, financially incentivized to make the assessment as low as possible and say, look, well, we, we, we collected the taxes, and here you go. This is the correct rate. And whereas a royal assessor that goes to the reach or the veil, they're incentivized to make the assessment as high as possible so that they can collect yeah. more money. Yeah, no, no, that's Yeah. The, those special privileges that we were talking that I was talking about earlier and that that, uh, you know, you've just mentioned there. That's that's a big problem that would sit with them. That's why I say that what Dayron should have done is offered one of those uh, concessions to the Lannisters and the Aarons and the Starks you know, the same high lords of those uh, component realms to, to sweeten the pot, essentially, to make things a little bit better. So they could say, look, it's not as bad as if just they get a bunch of stuff and we get to told to just, you know, sit there and suck it up. So that's the biggest 100%. And the other thing that you touched on and, and why I brought it up earlier is the ty- it's not just the Tyrells. It's really that the Reach and Dorne have been at war for mm-hmm. centuries, centuries before Aegon arrived. And in like uh, the, the main series, like Mace Tyrell brings it up. Like they didn't yep. forget and they don't they don't forget. It's it's kind of like the Brackens and the, the Blackwoods on steroids. It's just like it's like, no, I don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. like they like they, they they can't like just suddenly turn off and pretend like, oh, but now we're friends, right? Yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, there's there's really like, no way around there's really no way around that too because the so much of the Dornish hostility in recent years was when the Tyrells were part of the Seven Kingdoms, and then yeah. you know then you have the the you know, the the burning of Dorne and stuff like that, and you, you build this Dornish identity that is built in, at least in part, in defiance of the Targaryens, which would include the Tyrells and stuff like that, which I think is a little bit, you know, that makes it burn even hotter than, say, when the Reach and the Lannisters fought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, when we got to A Feast for Crows, just like that, 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 pride of like we killed one of the dragon queens like we like darren only was able to control us for a few years like we like we only like joined the realm willingly when we were offered but like doran cannot be conquered and doran martell like says no we can be don't don't let it get to your heads yeah, I mean, it, it's always funny as they say, you know, we, we can't be conquered. And, and then you look at the Daron the first and you're like, you were conquered twice. Yeah. You, it's just, it didn't stick. But that's, and, and I mean, you know, he forced you to the peace treaty grounds and then, you know, you murdered him there. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, 
the the war wasn't currently raging and ongoing, and then you decided that you could kill him at a parlay. This was you were beaten, and then you went to the peace treaty and you murdered him there. And then, of course, you have the. Are you there? Hello. 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 Can you hear me? Yeah, you broke up for a second. Oh, okay. Where did I? Where did I get lost? Uh, in the middle of like uh, what, what was like the, the the peace treaty situation with Darren the first. Oh, it's like because Darren the first beat them and yeah. forced them to the treaty ground. It wasn't you know a war that is currently raging and ongoing, and then a parlay is is uh, called. This was. We win, and then then you murder him. Then, of course, there's the Dornish insurgency and the small folk, but that wasn't the nobility. I mean, I know the yeah. nobles like to say, look, you know, we're Dorn, and we maintain this. And it's like, no, you actually, uh, you actually bent the knee to them, and it was the small folk. But, I mean, nobility taking credit for small folk, that's something that doesn't happen ever. Never. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, so it's it's just it's just very interesting. And then you know, how do you solve these bad this bad blood? And there is really, unfortunately, there is no good answer, because you yeah. can always, I mean, you can look at say the Balkans today, and the the various different uh, ethnic groups and religious groups there, and yeah. every single one of them can point to someone else and say, this is something that you did. Yeah. And. And then in response, the other group will say, well, this is something that you did. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. Well, if there was a, if I had a, uh, if I There's had another... an idea to, to bring peace to the Balkans, I'd be selling it all. I mean, I wouldn't be selling it. I'd be going over there and like selling it to the people to try and yeah. fix something. But, you know, it's eluded a lot of people and it will probably elude a lot more. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the sad reality. And so, I mean, that's one of the cases where it is the amazing thing that Aegon and then even more importantly, Jaehaerys, was that they were able to really just unite these. Like, that's the thing that I think. And, and I did get into a tiny bit of a Twitter war about this, like defending the Targaryens and as much as this. It's just like that there were seven warring kingdoms. They were just always at war with each other when Aegon arrived. And then they stopped fighting each other. Yeah, well, I mean, the century of blood was called the century of blood for a reason. Yeah, it just yeah. like, well, and so I, I'm just like that's. Yeah, I mean, and you, I'm not you, saying it's like that. The Targaryen dynasty then was like this magnificent, peaceful era, but it's just like going from like seven warring kingdoms to one kingdom that breaks down into civil war is better. It's not vastly yeah. better, but it is an improvement of sorts. Yeah, I just think that's a discussion point, and depending on what you value and the different arguments you have for it, uh, you can go either way and say the Targaryens were a net good or a net bad. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it really. It, I mean, then I honestly think that that's kind of a silly argument. Instead, you should just say these are the things you should do: this Jaharisian legal code, this, yeah. um, you know, this commitment to to good things, and then this is the things you should avoid. And whether you're seven kingdoms or one kingdom, if you do the things that you're supposed to be doing and not do the things that you're not supposed to be doing, well, then you're going to do all right. You know, unless yeah. you get the Great Spring Sickness, but I mean, you know, that, mm -hmm. given Westerosi medical science, there's really not a whole lot you can do with that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, well, Jaehaerys had that with the shivering sickness, so, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was a really sad chapter with uh, what's yes. her name, the 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 princess, the the darling princess, mommy, I'm princess cold or something like that. Yeah, mommy, bitch. mommy, I'm cold. Oh, that's so sad. Yes, the oh, don't make me cry. Um, so the so let's get back a little bit into it and. This always comes into it, and it's just like it's just inevitable when we talk about either about Darren or, or Damon, you have to talk about the other one just to really understand. Oh, yeah, no, you, you have to. Yeah, just like they're just too inextricably tied to each other. Um, so um, when we discuss this about Damon, uh, what do you make of, of that, of Damon, of how much of it is that he just gets all these personal slights and just slowly, slowly starts to foment, foment rebellion by kind of encouraging the resentment that the Lords feel for Darren's well-meaning and right with the long-term, but poor in the short-term decisions? Or is it, how much of it is like that he's being somewhat manipulated by all these resentful lords into slowly becoming the figurehead for a rebellion. So like how I, much think, I think is, that's is purposely vague. Yeah, I think that's purposely vague so that people can scrawl the meaning of the first Blackfire rebellion and impress it onto history and then use it to justify their actions. Now, certainly mm -hmm. you can say that, you know, in some ways, uh, uh, Damon Blackfire was treated very well. He was given the right to raise a castle. You know, he was given all of the, the, these very nice things. When you compare him to, say, Agor, and Bittersteel gets kind of nothing about, about the whole thing. But then you yeah. can also say, hey, you know, when, when uh, he was going to be arrested, if, if the evidence was kind of spurious, and, I mean, we certainly know that Bloodraven is 100% yeah. willing to act on the absolute flimsiest of evidence and say, you know, I know what's best for the kingdom and I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, if, he if he just says, you know, hey, I'm not really doing anything and now I'm getting arrested. Well, I mean, at yeah. that point, then he, he really has no choice but to rebel. And so you can kind of see him as being forced into it. I don't like... The idea that uh, he was manipulated in doing it and he was just a, the perfect patsy. Because you see a lot of the time, the, the few elements that we get from him, and you see that, you know, he's not unintelligent. He is actually, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he is the only one of the rebel kings who's ever minted his own coinage. Yep. He's the only, you know, and, and he, he wages an effective war. I mean, you see in the first Blackfire Rebellion, you see hit after hit after hit, and it's, you know, they beard Damon, uh, Damon Lannister up in Casterly Rock. They kill everyone but the youngest son of Lord Penrose in a, uh, in a small uh, skirmish on the river. You know, you, you see all of these things where he's just, you know, success after success after success. Mm -hmm. So he can't be unintelligent. To have so many, I mean, you know, one or two things you could say, well, maybe it's, you know, luck, maybe it's a good advisor or whatever. But so many things, one right after the other, suggests to me that there is some brains at the top. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely. But, 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 but I mean, at the same time, like winning battles, I mean, that, that was Robert's skill. He was a brilliant warrior. He was 
brilliant, brilliant at warrior. And even Darren the first, like, yeah, they're brilliant at at war, but and, yeah, but I mean, I would say with, that with with Robert, it, it is a case where just like he basically just has to rebel just because it's just like I can't like no. Yeah. It's like, either yeah. that or turn yourself over to the pyre. Yeah. So it's like no. And like this I, I mean, so it but when But I mean I think just because, you know, at the beginning, uh Damon isn't even a lord. He's a landed knight. He's one mm-hmm. of the lowest yes. echelons of you know, of the nobility. So that he is able to just successfully build a huge coalition and then just come out swinging. And he really got within a stone's throw of yes. winning. Oh, I, mean, yes. I mean, the Redgrass field is Waterloo, basically. It's mm-hmm. the, the, the near-run thing of, of Westeros. So I would mm-hmm. say that, again, you know, I understand that, you know, certainly Robert was infamously i wouldn't necessarily say he was unintelligent as much as he was lazy and neglectful because you could see he was he could be quite intelligent when he needed to be but he was just incredibly lazy you know given over to drinking and hunting and um you know spending too much time with uh ladies that are not his wife um and all that but (laughs) so i mean you know that that was kind of but i mean you see with i mean Damon, you see yeah. that, you know, he was able to build a coalition, enact a successful strategy, and he did it in multiple theaters at once, which means that he also had an eye for picking talent. And you can certainly see that with Fireball, with um, uh, Bitter Steel, with all these guys, he really had a good eye for talent. So like I said, with, with so many different factors that Damon did pretty well or great at, I would say that, no, he's he's definitely... He's uh, he's cooking upstairs. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, well, kind of go into a bit of also personalist politics. Oh yeah. Uh, as uh, the decision by Darren, let, let's get bring it back, but bring both of them into the table. Of that, like part of the the Dornish agreement to get Dorn to join the realm is that is that da- is that Darren agrees to give his sister Daenerys in marriage to to Prince uh, Maron. Maron. I, I keep on forgetting yeah. his name. Yeah, Prince Prince Maron, yeah. Prince Maron. Even though like and the singers make the biggest fuss about this that like Daenerys was in love with Damon mm-hmm. and Damon was in love with her. And and so what do you make of that decision? Like uh, of that of that like it makes sense why Darren would do that, but it yeah, also I mean, like see, I, don't think, like, I don't think that that's as big a big a deal concretely as much as it is in the romantic sense of it. Because I mean, everyone loves a good a good tale of love love lost of ships crossing in the night and all that all that other lovely romantic stuff, especially singers. But I yeah. mean, we don't we don't see Damon challenge uh challenge anyone to you know for the legality of that we don't see him set aside rohan of tyrosh we don't see Mm -hmm. him do any of that i mean and the the first blackfire rebellion doesn't even happen for years afterwards so i think concretely saying i don't think that was so much of a big deal i mean certainly 
Could they be attracted attracted to each other? Certainly. There's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't be. But I think like the the first Blackfire Rebellion was just kind of a gradual boiling over. There was no flashpoint except for maybe the arrest of Daren, of Damon himself. I don't I think it was just more of a hey, you know, things are boiling over and we're just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then eventually we we fall into our faction, whether we support Daron or we oppose Daron. And then when the arrest happens, that's when it actually gets going. Yeah. And people would, would come to that decision for one reason or another. And so I, I it's in it's also kind of tragic in a way, whereas it's the almost the opposite of the Dance of the Dragons. If the Dance of the Dragons is two completely terrible human beings who are fighting <laughs> fighting for their chance to rule the the kingdom. Then the the first Blackfire Rebellion is two relatively decent people, and the things just boil over to the point where you, war could have been stopped, and then it never does. Yeah. Powerful forces working against them. It's the dawn of the Planet of the Apes tragedy. Yeah, it's the. It's just. I mean, like I said, it's 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 also good too because it's the just like with uh, the tragedy of the loss of Baylor Breakspear. When, oh, well, yes, when, good, when good things don't go according to, and from hindsight, you can see how everything just falls apart. Like the, the build up to the first world war where you can see just the train building up steam yeah. from mm-hmm. hindsight and you can just see it's going to be a disaster. But in the moment, you can't see the disaster coming until it's too late. And I think that's, I mean, it's good. It's good writing. Yeah, absolutely. Great writing. Um, so we're, we're, we're now circling back, and so we get to the point where, where obviously the, the main tragedy and, and the big final decision of, of Darren choosing to punish the, the, the Black Rebels. Oh, can we talk about uh, another thing that I find uh, maybe not so great about Daron before that? Because this is before okay, that. Yeah. His yeah, actual... Sure. His actual prosecution of the war itself was not very good. Oh, okay. Uh, he, yeah. he did abysmally when it came to actually trying to um, to prosecute the war effectively. I mean, you saw all of these successes that Damon was earning. And meanwhile, you see all of these things that constantly keep putting uh, Daron on the back foot. I mean, keeping... Butterwell as Hand of the King when he's prosecuting so ineffectively. And not only is he prosecuting so ineffectively, but you have better choices right there. You have yep. Baylor, you have Lord Hayford, you have Ronald Aaron, you have all of these people that could prosecute the war effectively, but just like with uh, what is it, the Lord of the Long Table, um, who was exiled by Ares. Ares, for all the terrible things that he did, when when he saw that his prosecution his hands prosecution was of the war was ineffective he fired him he exiled him too but he fired him and yeah. he put somebody he put john connington in charge that ambrose butter or not ambrose was it ambrose butterwell or was it his father i can't remember um no it, it was it was ambrose yeah 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 you're right it was ambrose 
that Ambrose Butterwell was kept as Hand of the King, the senior minister, until the eve of Redgrass is an absolute failure as a commander-in-chief. Absolute yeah. failure. True. And, I mean, he should be True. faulted for that. I will take a little bit of disagreement with you. Um, and that, like, I, at least for me, I, I see that more uh, for, for, um, in that I, I'm much more critical of Aries of just like that, of that, what, I mean, as the world of ice and fire puts it, it's just like, it, it's when Robert beats John Connington, that's when the moment he was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is a black fire level rebellion I've got on my hands. And just like, but he couldn't, even though he could recognize the threat because he was the Mad King, he couldn't really see past and say like, and find the right commanders to help win the war for him. One, because he was up against Robert, but two, because it's just like he was so petty and just self-absorbed and paranoid that he couldn't, he couldn't like trust anyone to be his ally. He couldn't like say, okay, Tywin, I'm sorry for everything that happened. Please help me. Yeah, well, I mean, if you burn all your bridges, it, turn, it turns out when you when you actually need help, you'll find few people willing to come at you. But I'm and I'm saying it's like for Daron, he should have dismissed Butterwell long before then. And that he yeah. didn't and that he didn't was not in his favor. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, he had choices. He had Baylor. He had Makar. He had. Um, like I said, Lord Hayford, the guy who eventually would be named uh, Hand of the King uh, and then die on the Redgrass Field. You know, he had options and he didn't take them. He had Blood Raven. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Blood Raven. That, that oh. Blood Raven wasn't, you know, sent away and not allowed near anything even remotely resembling power. Well, that, that's more of a failure of Ares I. Because, I mean, yeah, you actually don't see Bloodraven doing too much in the post. I mean, he was, a, he was a counselor, and he was the one, apparently, who brought the news of Damon plotting rebellion, you know, which, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really, Ares the first letting a guy like Bloodraven in charge, that's a failure for him. But that's a story for another time. Well, I would very much debate you on that, just because, for my mind, Ares the first is my one of my least favorite kings. Oh, I think he is, like, though. I think he's one of the worst kings. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, like, I defend Bloodraven as, like, if Bloodraven wasn't in charge, the Blackfires would be in charge. Mm-hmm. I disagree, but I'm we, just, we can... Like, again, another story for another time. Yeah. Well, like, maybe Makar would have been able to stop it, but other than Makar, I can't see, like, many people being able to face up against Bittersteel and his relentless like drive to get the iron throne and having the perfect like foil in that like look like you hate this guy in charge this guy is an idiot clearly like so you obviously want blackfire like that like one of the reasons why the blackfire rebellions happen other than the spring great spring sickness is like just that Ares was in charge oh yeah was, no De- demonstrably incompetent sir kyle the cat at, you know what do they do at least houses lannister and stark fight you know yeah. that's 
that's a that's an indictment. Uh, but I mean, he he also says that against Blood Raven. So you know, you have yeah. have that going against him as well. Is that they they see him as being attached to the failure that is Ares the First's reign. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, I ignore Westeros to build up strength to stop the Blackfires, and then the Blackfires come anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's the one thing that I think is a big fault with Daron the Second. In another way, it's like you—he spent so much effort to avoid war, but war came anyway. Yep. All right, let's get into the ranking part now. Let's All right. just let's talk it. Let's let's go through the score. So I think you're going to be a bit crueler than we were, but that's awesome. That's why we have guests on to, yeah, well, to talk. If, if, if we all agreed, guys. life would be boring. <laughs> yes, it would be. Okay, so. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, just looking at my notes. Just glancing through one fun little fact I had of like who was an inspiration for Darren the Second. It's like William the Third. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, like the you know, George likes to borrow borrow from history, throw everything into a blender, and then give every other person a white wig. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, reading uh, like after finishing the books and the show, I've become obsessed with uh, the the actual Wars of the Roses, and now I can see, oh, that's who that character is based on. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, history, history provides so much fertile stuff for writing. Yeah. And uh, and so I completely get why there's four characters based on Richard III and three characters on the Kingmaker, Richard oh, Bevel. It's like, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Good old Warwick. Oh, yeah. He's so much fun. Uh, Such an amazing figure. Yeah. So, all right. So the way it works is that we have several categories and... Um, and so, for each category out of ten, what what would you what do you score? So, for the category first, as time of the king, we we give points for every year you ruled as king because you were doing at least something right, and there you're able to continue ruling. So, okay. Darren ruled for twenty five years, so he gets twenty five points for that. Mm-hmm. Now, here are my notes that for for the first category of the king, which is where we rank how well you do as a ruler in terms of administrative decisions and laws all that sort of thing all right he managed to do what Aegon the conqueror and the young dragon could not he was able to make dorn join the realm after over a century of wars with dorn dorn willingly joined the realm with no blood spilled uh i would agree with the exception that uh that led to even more blood being spilled so okay going on that yeah. there's going to be a category where we can really tear into him oh, okay okay so he cleansed the red keep and king's landing of the corruption created by his father yeah i, I would i don't think that's in dispute his decisions were, were all for were all for the good of the long term of westeros when you say that do you mean intent or do you mean in actuality more more intent Actuality is where we get into the debate part. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I would, yeah, I think, as I said before, yeah, I don't think you can fault him for the intent. Yeah. His supporters adored him to the point that he was dubbed Darren the Good. You know, except for the ones that didn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, fought against him. <laughs> yeah. But his supporters, mind you, 
really did like him a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although, then again, so was Baylor the Blessed. So, maybe yeah, that would yeah. do. So, he was able to crush a rebellion. Uh, I, I don't think, I, th- I think that was done really more in spite of his leadership rather than because of it. Okay. Considering what the Blackfire rebels had done, he was surprisingly benevolent in his punishments. When other kings may have had mass executions in addition to hostages, Darren was more created and had the rebel lords diminished in addition to surrendering a hostage. I think that ultimately ended up backfiring on him as opposed to pursuing the the, the Robert Baratheon Baylor Breakspear policy, but... Uh, you know that I think that's a little too hypothetical because I mean you know then what do you think about the Great Spring Sickness and oh yeah. so on and so forth that I I can see that maybe that just becomes a little too speculative for for our tastes. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a question that uh, Dunk asked Egg at, at one point in uh, in the Sworn Sword is like what what would you have done, Egg? And he doesn't have an answer because he's just yeah, like well uh, oh well. Well, I mean, to be fair, it is easier to talk about it than to actually do something. Yeah. So, and uh, lastly, one fan ar- argued that per year, he was a, as great a king as Jaehaerys the Conciliator. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would agree with that, but I would say that he was pretty good for the, for most of the years. I mean, we do hear that um, that crime was relatively low compared to the reign of Ares. So I can say that, uh, you know, crime and stability is for, I mean, we see a little bit of it in the hedge night and I mean, we see Aryan bright flame be terrible, but it's certainly nothing, nothing compared to, you know, some of the worst lawlessness that could happen. True enough. Well, I mean, only one, only two of Magar's kids were decent or at least sons wise. We don't know about the daughters. Yeah, well, and I mean, and I feel I feel bad actually for Daron the Drunken. Because, yeah, I do. I do because too. I mean, he if if I understand it correctly, he was tormented by his dreams. Now, Absolutely. I mean, yes. the same time, you know, some of it has to fall on him. You know, there could probably have been healthier ways to handle it rather than self medicating with alcohol. Yeah. But. But you can still feel bad for him. I mean, we don't know exactly how vivid these dreams are, but what's her name? The the Dornish lady that was talking with um, Ariane, uh, who was saying, you know, I dreamed and everywhere I dreamed uh, that the dragons danced and everywhere they danced, people died. Uh, you know, imagine, imagine having to deal with that every night when you sleep. Yeah. I could see, I could see how that would weigh heavily upon anyone. Well, you, you also saw the inverse of that, where you saw Damon the second, where that emboldened him and yeah. kind of diluted him. But like, so. Yeah. And even know. then, we don't, I mean, we, we get a little bit of dragon dreams with in Daenerys's chapters, but we don't really get like the full on psychedelic experience. I mean, if we want that, we have to go to the House of the Undying chapter. Yeah. So I, I guess we should probably not. I mean, you can be critical of Darren the Drunken, but. Um, I think we we can't, you know, let's reserve a little bit of judgment until we can see exactly what those visions were like. And maybe we'll see them in a, a Dunkin' Egg. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. He, he's got lots more planned. We'll see. Yep. Um, so out of, out of 10, what would you say, Jim? 
Hmm, I don't know. What, what was what was the rating? What were the ratings you've got? Uh, I think you you had a you had him pretty highly in this category. I would think, if I remember right. This is your ranking. This is your choice. Okay. Uh, at the end, I, we will do comparisons, but yes. I would say probably a six and a half or a seven. So uh, I'll split yeah. the medium and say six point seven five. Oh, we can go into quarters. Oh, well, actually, no. Don't don't give me that because then I'll go into eighths, and if I go into eighths, I'll go into sixteenths. <laughs> no, okay. I'll say I'll, I'll be generous. I'll say seven. I'll say a seven. Oh. A solid seven. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So we're just gonna double up so we can compare to what Ed and I scored. So fourteen. Okay. Fourteen for the first category. Next category, the warrior. So for the warrior, we we judge both your own merit. Mer- Martial progress, prowess, sorry, okay. your own martial prowess, but also your skills as a commander. So this is important because like sometimes like, and Darren is a great example where we, we gave points if, even if you're not a good warrior yourself, if you appoint the right people and you win the war, then you're doing something right. So. Okay. So my one note for that is this, is despite not being a warrior himself, he was able to appoint excellent generals that crushed his warrior half-brother, Damon. I would say, I mean, given his inability to remove Butterwell from Hand of the King um, and, you know, really, I mean, just his, the ineffective prosecution of the first Blackfire Rebellion from his point of view, where he was kind of actually almost overly overly relying on his sons to actually you know do the heavy lifting for him i think i'm going to give him a three and a half oh wow Woo-hoo. nice wow that's like so that's a pretty low score that's like yeah well to be fair to be fair i think Maycar would kind of win out uh you know kind of get some points on his in his own rating and I don't want to give that to Daron the second because Maycar would be getting, you know, his points for successful anvil maneuver um, in his, <laughs> in his own on his own. But yeah, I think just because of again, you're the king. If anyone can remove the hand of the king for being incompetent, it's you. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So that's total seven. All right. Now here is the big big fun negative category that we love to go in. This is the part that broke Chloe from Girls Gone Cannon's heart when we went into this. Okay. For, for madness and misrule. So this we mm. judge on like just all the bad decisions you make. How okay. much of it is madness or how much of it is just you being, being stupid. And yep. we've no one has gotten a zero. Everyone made mistakes. Like even Jaharis made mistakes. Okay, so so this is this is not this is not lowest. Okay, sorry. Okay, so this isn't so a, a high score is bad and a low score oh. is good. It's like golf. Yes. Okay, just making sure because I was thinking, okay, you know, are you going to measure him? You know, madness and misrule, high marks for good decisions or high marks for bad decisions? Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. No, that's fair. Okay. So, and yeah. your notes so are ten, ten, ten is mad. Ten is is Aries the second. Okay. One is Jaharis. Like just okay, to give you an idea. Fair enough. Of, even though Jaharis, I think we both gave 
like Ed and I, we gave him about a two. Like, he yeah. didn't make mistakes, but like, but we said in like in our episode on Harris, like the mistakes he made were like mistakes that someone who had like a foresight of two hundred years would be able to understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, pretty much like no one could predict like like it's like, well, if the if the Night's Watch falls apart, this is going to be a bad decision. Like, what? Well, the Night Watch is never going to become this like only criminals and disgraced yeah. embarrassment yeah. of itself. Yeah. Yeah, similarly, I mean, you're talking, if you're looking at a, a, a one, you'd be talking about, you know, an Aragorn type, you know, he yeah. ruled for, for years and all was well. Yeah. So, um, so I'm sure you're going to have more notes to add, but here are my own notes. Mm-hmm. Although for the good of the realm, his terms for Dorne more than anything else foster resentment and made many contemplate turning on Darren. I'd agree. Yeah. Having Daenerys Targaryen marry Prince Marin Martell created even more of a rift between Darren and Damon. We'll never know for certain, but I mean I can see that. For me, at least what 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 I see when I see that is is that hardened his his heart. Like that made Damon's like from then on was like he didn't I didn't I think he wasn't at that place of like I'm gonna rebel against you, but I'm but he was just like I don't like you anymore. No, mm. that's that's fair. I'm like I said. I, I I think that that that's the singers making more of it than it actually was. True enough. True enough. Blood Raven and others, such as Makar, argued that letting the Blackfire rebels live was dangerous, especially as Darren chose to diminish several lords. In the end, many of the Blackfire rebels would revolt again, despite Darren's clemency. Mm-hmm. I could say that his pursuit of the the golden mean fallacy, trying to say the the ideal places between the clemency of Baylor and the bloodthirst of um, of Bloodraven, did did backfire on him. So, all that in mind, what do you well, think? So I think if I'm going to go and say that uh, the overall objective of getting Dorne into the realm was at least a good idea, but executed poorly, I think I'm going to give him a six and a half. Six and a half? Six and a okay. half, yeah. So he... Well, hold on, let me think. I mean, because I'm going to I mean, some decisions he made in terms of stability were actually good. So I guess if we're gonna now, nah, you know, I'll revise revise that. I'll say a, a five, but even five. I'd say he's got his his good parts and his bad parts, and they sit on a scale. Um, and it's only because the bad parts were much worse than the many more good parts, you know, in terms of you know body count. <laughs> <laughs> so for that, only though five then. Yeah, I would say because, I mean, there was a lot of peace going on in the realm. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the later difficulties happened because of Ares' misrule and the Great Spring Sickness and the drought. And those you cannot blame Daron for. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that would be madness if you do. Yeah. Not, that, not that that never has, ha- that has happened, but still. Yeah. And also, just good press is never as good as bad press. It's never as interesting. Because, I mean, we don't hear about the years where he actually did things like sweeping out the corruption of the court and things like that, which are good things, even, you know, so. So I I would say I'd have to give him a five because there were things that he did that were very positive. Okay. 
Fair enough. Now the lighter category, portrait. We're just going to judge how he looks. This one's out of five because we okay. don't want to get much power to this. This is just superficial. Yeah, that's, that's the AMOC portrait? Yes, this is the AMOC portrait. Well, I would say that he needs to do some more sit-ups. <laughs> yes, he had a prominent belly. Yeah, well, it's not just a prominent belly, but I think it's just uh, you need to build some muscle, some muscle bulk in the. I mean, it would. It, I think if he built, you know, he did a little bit of uh, pec fly and he did a little bit of sit ups, it would help detract from from that because he's also apparently he's also spindly. So yeah, yeah. I think you need to spend more time at the gym, but uh, I do think he cuts a very good figure uh, with the uh, with the cape on the scroll. So I think I'm going to give him a three and a half on that one. Okay. Definitely so, not not a, not an Aegon, not a Jaharis with his wizard beard. No. No, we can't all have wizard beards. No, no, we can't. Sadly, it'd be nice, well, but no. At, at least if you're not, at least I mean, if you want to talk bad facial hair decisions, it's really Aegon the second <laughs> with his Aegon little II. with his oh, little yeah, keto yeah. stash. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah. no. Okay, so out of um the total score you gave him was sixty-three. Okay. Okay, and so let's compare and contrast. So our score for him was sixty-nine and a half. So we weren't too off. Yeah, okay. But so you, you, you got him about about at a seven out of ten, little little shy of a seven out of ten. That's no, that's not bad. And I think we agreed in a lot of things, and it's just a matter of, you know, what. Uh, and I, I think actually we this is a lot less controversial than I was expecting. I mean, I'm not saying that's yeah. a good thing or a bad thing. It just it, it is that. But yeah. uh, I think I think that's good. I think you know the the idea that um, you know that he was a flawed. A flawed good man is, I think, is yes. a you know a good flawed good king is uh, take taking on a little bit, and I like that. I like that. Well, I mean, what, what Evan like immediately said when we went to Badis and Misrule uh, is like we can't ignore the elephant in the room. Is that a rebellion happened? Yes. Um, no, that's very so, true. Like, and like that automatically means like that his he has to be weighed down by that because it happened. Yeah. Like how much? And then, yeah. How much? And then, how much of it is his fault, and how much of it was the decisions he made? And I can see where a lot of the decisions he made ended up sticking in the crawl. And you know, honestly, I do think that 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 in a way, a lot a lot of it isn't a good answer. I mean, as we said before, how do you make peace when there's been a war for so long? And (laughs) really, that's that's a tough question. That's not an easy question. (laughs) So you know. That's the. That's just what that is, and I can't say it's good. I can't say it's bad. It's certainly just one of one of the great difficult questions of geopolitics itself. Yes. Well, I mean, that's the whole beauty of George R. R. Martin's writing is it's Aragorn's tax policies. It's it's mm. well that, that fantasy easy heroic moments are over, but what do you do when you actually are in mm. power? And you can be a, a nice, well-meaning man, but. Maybe yeah. you might be cut out for the job. Yeah, you we actually jump. had a panel on that. I, we had a panel on Aegon's tax or Aragorn's tax policy. That's what the name of it was, and we were talking about the nitty gritty. And I got to bust out my favorite uh, medieval factoid, which is oh, well. uh, so in Sweden during the late Middle Ages, you could pay for your taxes 
with 16 kilos of butter. So <laughs> I envision going to the IRS and just tossing them a gooey backpack and say, see you next year. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. But let's get into the great final verdict, though. The real ultimate question. All right. Is Darren a dragon or a dud? Is he someone that would be remembered or would he be ultimately a footnote in history? Oh, he's what definitely you... he's definitely remembered. Definitely remembered. So he's a dragon? Uh, I mean, he incorporated Dorne into the realm. He presided over and was ultimately successful in the first Blackfire Rebellion. I'd say that that was that changed Westeros enough that he he will be remembered. Okay, all right. So dragon, yes, we also voted for dragon. Dragon, we we, we are very specific because we don't we we do not say whether or not you're good at the job. Yes. Like, oh no no. Magor was a dragon in our eyes because, like, we couldn't deny, like, no, this is a monster, but no one would forget yeah. Magor. Like, yeah, whereas, so like, Magor, Magor was a great, was like a king we admired and we felt sympathy yeah. for, but he was like, kind of like, kind of he has a footnote because, like, he's kind of just like, just yeah. did a good job. Yeah. It's whether, whether you have a chapter devoted to you in the history books or whether you're a footnote. Yeah. yeah I mean, no, uh, I... yeah. I mean, the biggest uh, one that was sadly a dud was was also Aegon the Third for us, just because he was just like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, he he seems like he would be forgotten. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame like, too, because there's the, the the line about him, which is they they say, you know, because of his sons, after he'd be forgotten, and then you think about, yeah. well, you know, it's like look at all the stuff that they did. It's like maybe some sober rule was actually a good thing. Maybe the yes. Westeros needed. Yes. Needed a bit, needed a bit more bread and dancing bears, but Absolutely. but bread and dancing bears do not get news ratings. No, they don't. Well, yeah. Well, that's a whole other. Oh yeah, no that that's something that you could talk about for a for a whole hot minute. Yeah. So um, before you head out, Jim, thank you so much for coming on board. But I always like to head and. Um, a special guest episode with all these quick rapid fire fan questions. If you'd okay, like to. sure. Let's do okay, it. So, blacks or greens? Uh, neither one of them are good. I would personally vote for a, uh, a cup of lukewarm soup over either one of them. A lot of, of our, my guests have answered that. Okay, so in perfect conjunction with this whole episode, red or black dragon? Ooh. I uh, say so that 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 puts my heart in uh, that put that tears my heart in two because I have a I have my heart in each camp. Okay. All right. Good answer. Robert or Rhaegar? Oh, Robert, one hundred percent. Okay. All right. You're the first that 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 didn't say like they're both idiots. <laughs> no, well, but, I mean they cer- they certainly are both idiots. But again, if a woman can walk down the king's run in her name day gown. As opposed to abducting a princess or a, a noble lady and starting a war, I got it. Uh, you know, I could yeah. probably, if I want, if I could, I would try to fix Robert's uh, Robert's faults. Yeah. I don't think there's any there's any fixing Rhaegar. <laughs> well, because he's so convinced, I'm right. I'm right. Yeah. Well, that is absolutely true. He was definitely convinced. The, the dragon must have three heads. Dragon must have must. three heads. 
I mean, we draw it so many times in art class. <laughs> so, okay. Baylor starved or poisoned? Wait, say that one more time. Baylor starved or poisoned? Uh, I say he starved. Okay. Viserys II, older poisoned? Poisoned. I think, honestly, this is, you'll like this. My theory is, is that Aegon believed that Viserys poisoned Baylor, and so poisoned Viserys. Oh, okay. One, one, one of my many pet theories. Okay. I do maintain that Baylor personally, I think, yeah, I think Viserys did poison him. Just because okay. it's just like... Because I, also, I also believe that Baylor was about to go to war with the North and the yeah. Iron Islands. Launch so just like, Viserys was just like, no, no, yeah. okay, enough. Like, so, sorry, forgive me, Aegon. I gotta do this. That's, best, that's fair. Best Aegon. Best Aegon the Conqueror. Okay. Cool answer. Worst person to sit the Iron Throne. Worst person to sit the Iron Throne? I would say... Um, I would say Ares II. Okay. Best person to sit on the Iron Throne. I would say uh, Jaharis the Old King. All right. Good answer. What happened at Summerhall? Uh, I have a theory that it was a blood magic ritual gone wrong. Okay. Yeah, so you understand. Oh, so you you know how uh, dragons are fire made flesh? Yes. So my theory is is that there was a blood magic ritual where the tar- uh, the fire was the wildfire, and then there was going to be a blood magic ritual to contain the flesh. Now, Aegon tried to get away with it by bringing all of the Targaryens together, slitting the palms, and doing that to create the blood. But blood magic is not so easily treated. Only death can pay for life. And so the sacrifice was going to end up being Rhaegar. Now, whether Egg aborted at the last minute or, you know, said, hey, whoa, no, no, no. I thought we were just going to slit our palms here. Or whether Dunk stepped in and uh, was the, you know, became the hero that he always was. Um, either, Either way, there was no flesh to contain the fire. Summer Hall burns down. It's very good. That's very good. That's pretty much what Stevens Adwell's theory is, and I love that. I I truly adore that. I, I can see. I don't want to say like, like don't let this spread too much because George R. R. Martin you may get annoyed that we figured it out. But I can see that completely of just that the war of the human heart of just like no 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 egg please yeah, please don't do please please no no, well, no 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 no. Well. I mean, here, here's the thing. If, if George R. R. Martin doesn't want us saying that, then he shouldn't have made it the central theme of his novel. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so okay. Is Hall cursed? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That much weight of collective atrocity brings over some ghosts from the other side. Okay. Is being Hand of the King cursed? No. What was going on between Ashra Dane and Ned Stark? Uh, I believe that they were very attracted to each other, um, but uh, I do not. I mean, I think they may have slept together, but honestly, I don't. I don't think they did. I think 
Ashara uh, Dane ended up, uh, she, uh, uh, she jumped from uh, the tower in despair when she realized that, um, you know, her, you know, the, the man she loved was fighting her family and killed her beloved brother. And I think the despair was just too much. Mm-hmm. Okay, good answer. Best hand oh, also, also that uh, that Edard was married too. We can't we can't forget that. Yeah, that's kind of important too. Yeah. Oh, and she was also pregnant. Yes, I hear that or, she was pregnant, but uh, or, maybe that was or, uh, it. Could no, Kathleen, I don't. I don't Kathleen know. Was Kathleen was pregnant at the time, yeah. so I was like, yeah, there's no going back. No, no, no. Yeah, Kathleen that's was it. pregnant. Yeah, so, so yeah. I could see, I could see I could see that. Yeah, I could see that that the despair of that of all of that happening at once was just too great. Yep. Best hand of the king. I would say uh, the future uh, king Viserys the second. Ah, yes. So, Perfect so his his tenure as hand. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. Uh. Who is the rightful heir to Westeros? The rightful heir to Westeros, Stannis Baratheon. Okay. Who should sit on the Iron Throne? Stannis Baratheon post, uh, you know, in the later novels. Not early novels, Stannis Baratheon. Specifically, Stannis Baratheon after he's gone through the Crucible of Blackwater. Okay. Good answer. Lastly, a little bit trolly, but all in good fun. D&D... D&D, hacks or good writers? Uh, hacks. I, I ended up, I quit the, the show because I couldn't watch it anymore. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, that covers everything. Thank you so much for ha- coming on, Jim. And, oh, no, thanks for, ha- thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd love to have you on again. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about next. So uh, see you around. You'll regret next- that. <laughs> next week Evan I can talk your ear off <laughs> next week Evan and I will be back to cover Rob Stark and we'll see how that goes see you then bye bye alright